Hello and welcome to the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. My name is Shmuel Tenenhaus and this is my podcast. So first of all, this podcast has a sponsor, a real sponsor, not one of those fake sponsors that I've done in the past. The sponsor for this week's podcast or the advertiser is myself because you may not know this and this may come as a complete shock to you. But I do not support my lavish lifestyle with this podcast. What I do is I actually have a business. I'm embarrassed to say it's a business. It generates revenue and all the uh, despicable things that, that go, go down when you have a business. It's a, it's a, my business is uh, PR and marketing. It's called tenanthousepr.com. And if you're interested in my services. If you want, I could just come over to your place, to your uh, place of work, and, and we can just do jokes, and you can just uh, give me free coffee from your office. That'll work as well. Okay, so let's, uh, let's jump right into this. So first of all, somebody emailed me or sent me a, a WhatsApp, a guy I haven't seen in about 20 years, and somebody that I know from my days in yeshiva, and I reminded him and I asked him if he remembered the story that happened when myself and a group of yeshiva students traveled to his father who was a shliach for Purim. And he did remember it, but let me recall or recount the story for you. Um, so the story is there was a shliach and he had Bachrim coming. And I know I said that before, but I'm just adding this statement even though I said it before. And when we came to him, the shliach looked at us and he said, Bacharim, I have one request from you. That's it. He didn't have like, he didn't say I have 20 requests. It wasn't a genie in a bottle asking us for things. He said, I have one request. It was a shliach in a bottle and he had one request. And he said, please, it's Purim time. Please do not get shit-faced. That was his one request. And... He said, you know, it's happened before that yeshiva students have come and they have gotten S-faced and it doesn't necessarily reflect, you know, a lot of positive feelings to the members of his community. And without getting into too much detail, I don't remember what happened next. I don't remember anything of Purim. All I remember is driving back to Crown Heights because apparently I did end up getting shit-faced like everybody else. And to this day, especially since I had to resurface the story and publicly acknowledge it, I do feel harbor some guilt and shame. And I told the shliach's son who WhatsApped me, hey, I'm feeling bad. And he said, you think you're the only group of Bacharim that he made this request to that wasn't listened to? No, everybody who comes here for Purim who is a yeshiva student Get shit-faced. You're just one of the many people that have gone through. And I guess he keeps asking because he's hopeful one day somebody will come from a yeshiva for Purim and will not end up getting shit-faced. Now that I've kind of started off the podcast very strong, talking about, uh, you know, overconsumption of alcohol uh, in, my, in my youth, I'm going to tell you that last week... I hit rock bottom 
uh, in the sense that I just I did not have the fight in me. Even though my wife will be like, "What do you mean? You were you were fighting with me all week?" But I felt internally that I did not have any fight left in me, and I just want to demonstrate how low I had sunk. My wife said, "Hey, we have a wedding next week. Please take your stuff to the cleaners." I was at such a low energy-wise and uh, motivation-wise that I am embarrassed to say this, that I, I actually took the two suits that I own and took them to the cleaners. I capitulated. Shmuel Tenaus from the Shmuel Tenaus podcast, who I'm against cleaners, I mean, for many, many reasons. One, it costs money, a premium. Two, it, you have to clean it. Uh, three, they take you to the cleaners when you when you go to the cleaners. Even the name of the business is cleaners because they're literally taking to the cleaners because they charge you money to wash something which you could potentially just wash in your house or wear it very dirty because you don't need to do it, especially if you're going to a party where it's very dark on the inside. I always tell my wife, it's going to be very dark where we go. Nobody's going to see this. So I give it to the cleaners and I'm excited. Now I have a fresh press suit for the first time. And by the way, it was so long, just to give you an idea of how long I had not taken these suits to the cleaners, in the jacket pocket were notes from several dinners I've emceed at my father's show. I mean, we're going a couple of years back. So I had last year's dinner, the year before his dinner. That means it clearly had not been cleaned or, you know, gone to the cleaners clearly because the notes would not be in the pocket, including I also had benchers in the pocket from like weddings that I attended for people who are now either dead or divorced or you know, generations have gone by. And so the story doesn't end yet because at some point in time when I did try on the suit to go to the wedding and I'm walking in feeling very dapper, my wife notices that in the back of the suit, there are multiple holes like gunshot wounds. So this is a cautionary tale and I'm going to double down why you should never send anything to the cleaners because the time that I did, the cleaners made a couple of holes in my jacket and I will not call out which cleaners it was other to, otherwise, uh, or I just want to say that if you think it was Mary's alterations in Hallandale next to where I work, I'm not going to deny or confirm that that was the particular cleaners that I dropped it off on. Now, I do want to make another, go right into another painful uh, topic, and that is I was meant to do comedy at my father's show dinner this year. It's the 42nd or 43rd, could be the 44th or maybe the 90th. I don't even know, but it's a dinner and it's annual and I was supposed to be the one doing comedy there. Unfortunately, I was not able to make that commitment. And when I was explaining to my uncle why it is that I was not able to make this commitment for this dinner, which is coming up on Monday, I said, because the truth is the lesson to take from all of this is, is that you are never too old to disappoint your parents. I'm in my 40s. I have kids. My kids almost have kids. Not a kid, but they, they might get uh, hamsters or guinea pigs or a cat, or maybe all of them. And, you know, you would think, no, oh, this man is an adult now. He's doing his life. He's going on with his business. He pays his own mortgage. He can't disappoint his parents. No, I can disappoint my parents. I know a guy who, unfortunately, he passed away. It's very dark, but he passed away 
and he's now dead. He's in his coffin. And sometimes his parents will visit him and they'll, I hear them talking to the tombstone. They're saying, what are you doing? You're just lying there. You, you have no motivation. You, you know, where's your ambition? Is this, is this what we raised you for? So you just be laying in, in the dirt and uh, you don't want to get up. You don't want to eat. You don't want to shower. You don't have any friends. I get it that you're dead, but something, something. Give us a little nachas. Now we go to another uncomfortable situation and I'm only sharing it so you feel more comfortable in the discomfort that you're experiencing right now. And that is that this week I was having a tense conversation with my wife, God bless her, and obviously I was at fault and it was a tense conversation. Why was it tense? Because it involved me and second of all, it was a Sunday. Sunday is when I reserve that day to be crotchety. I feel it's my God-given right to be crotchety a minimum one to five days a week. Now, we're having this tense conversation. It's kind of like uh, a Western movie where there's about to be guns drawn. And we're about three feet apart talking behind our house under the ledge of the roof. And while we're talking... We both notice a yellow stream, very thin, now falling and descending in between us. And I'm thinking, and I ask my wife in a non-contentious way, is it possible that's an iguana taking a leak from on top of the roof right in middle of our conversation? And I walk a few steps and I look up on the roof and sure enough, it's an iguana, probably the same iguana that crapped in my car in the front driveway, now getting his last licks by peeing on our conversation in the back. So we had to take a hose and spritz down the urine. Of course, the babies are trying to get into that fun puddle, but uh, it was a fantastic experience and I'm very impressed that the iguanas down here in Florida are multifaceted. Oh, they're like, oh, they're going to poop on your car. Why are you jumping to conclusions? Why do you have to stereotype, you know, how an iguana is going to relieve yourself or himself or herself on your possessions? There's more than one way. They're, They're very capable beings. Now, it is apparent to me from my broad knowledge of not having gone to, you know, a formal secular college or having a degree in anything that I'm about to talk about, that most people suffer from anxiety. And the way to know if you're, you're thinking and you're listening to this going, no, I don't suffer from anxiety. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove to you that you do because I'm going to ask you the following question. When you do have anxiety, are you the type who overeats? Are you the type that just can't eat because they have anxiety? I am, by the way, in the latter camp. When I have anxiety, I don't really eat much. I don't really eat much on a normal basis. So when I have anxiety, I really not even eating. I can't, I'm not even looking at food. But there are some people, again, they have the reverse reaction. They're very stressed and they will stress eat. So I had this idea where it is a hack that can't necessarily cure anxiety, but it could basically shine a happy light on what's going on during this phase of anxiety. So here's what I think ought to happen. And maybe this is a business idea that can, uh, manifest itself in an app. Here goes. So what we ought to do is, since 
half the population has anxiety and they don't eat, half of them overeat, why should any of the food go to waste when I'm not feeling in the mood to eat because I have anxiety, I should be able to direct message somebody who overeats when he has anxiety and say, hey, listen, I have anxiety, you have anxiety. I'm not eating my portion right now. You are eating a double portion. Rather than me throw out my food, come, I'll drop it off like with an Uber and you'll be able to consume all this food that I can't eat because of my anxiety, but your anxiety is making you eat more. Now, is that going to solve my anxiety or that person's anxiety? Not necessarily, but all of a sudden there's human connection and we see, hey, listen, God created a beautiful world where one person's problems that he's overeating is solved by my problems that I can't eat. And it could be like a Tinder type thing uh, where you're mixing and matching and uh, it works for everybody. The next thing uh, I mentioned before about uh, my business that I started a couple months ago called TenantHousePR.com. And uh, if you listen to this podcast, I will, and you come for business, I will give you potentially a one, and you mentioned my podcast and you want my business help, I can give you a 1% discount, a 2% discount. Uh, but, you know, uh, other than that, I mean, I have the margins are margins. And so uh, one of the challenges of having a new business, because not the first time they had a new business, is when you're making so much money and you have to start opening up multiple uh, bank accounts to store all this money um, because FDIC insurance will only cover up to a quarter million dollars. But your business is making so much money and it's, it's producing so much cash and, and throwing off so much net profit and you want it safe, so you got to go from bank to bank saying, hey, can I store uh, $250,000 worth of my profits this month in your establishment so it is covered by FDIC insurance? So that's one of the big challenges I find for myself in having a new business. But God willing, either banks will increase their liability coverage or, again, some wise businessmen will come up with a solution, uh, a financial fintech solution that could help this problem, which is very common amongst startups. Now, I also had an incident this week where it was Wednesday. So naturally, I'm trying to stretch the Shabbos leftovers until Wednesday. I'm trying to slide casually until Wednesday, still eating from Shabbos food. And listen, if I can make it to Thursday, Friday, even better. But at least you can say Abdullah until Tuesday, you should be able to eat still what's from Shabbos until Wednesday. This was, uh, I don't know if I should say it on air, but this was a couple pieces of gefilte fish. I put it on some quinoa salad. Uh, my wife obviously was revolted by the whole idea, which obviously is an increased level of excitement or enthusiasm on my part. Now, obviously, I took a couple of bites and I realized this fish is, is, beyond, is beyond dead. And even I, who is a leftover connoisseur, I can't go through with this. I'm just going to eat around it, the iguana and the spoiled trina that I put on top of it. As you know, I'm a huge trina fan. Then I started thinking that there are some people who are morally opposed and also ethically opposed to eating left, uh, leftovers. And I always think, wait, it's, it's just a waste of food. Why would you throw it away? Why would you throw food in the garbage Saturday night just because you can't stand the sight of leftovers, which is something we've, we've talked about and we've covered on this podcast. 
Uh, we've covered it in episode uh, 370. Uh, during, uh, I think there was episode uh, 718 we had it. Um, and we also, a couple of seasons back, I think this was potentially in the 80s, I also, well, it's going back 40 years, but it was also, I think we did a sitcom on this topic. So hard when you have such a long standing uh, experience within the entertainment sphere and industry like I have, sometimes very difficult to figure out like when we did something, but uh, that's neither here nor there. So uh, now I completely lost uh, where I was going with this, but now I completely remembered. So I'm thinking there is an argument to be made because I want to expand my horizons, open my mind, not with a plan journey, just cheap here in the office with a cup of water. Maybe there is something to be said about leftovers in terms of why would you toss it from the fridge? So here's, here's, here's a potential, uh, a counter argument why leftovers are bad. And that is, if you take the leftovers and you throw them down, throw them in the garbage, you're basically saying, thank you, God, for the food. Now I'm going to return it to you through... Um, landfill or the garbage department, sanitation department. Goodbye. Thank you. We're done with it. We have to make new, make room for new stuff. As opposed to when you're dealing with leftovers, there's so much waste involved. Because the first thing is you need to have probably a disposable container. If not, maybe you have Tupperware where you can find a top for it. If the top is missing, maybe we'll use a little uh, saran wrap that is you know, looking very strange in the fridge, or maybe you have some tin foil you have left over from your Pesach kitchen, and you're cons- that's how you're conserving the food. So you're using, let's say, some tin foil. So now you just wasted a bunch of tin foil or a disposable container because you, you can't find any of the tops for the containers that you have in your house. What happens is you eat a little of those leftovers, and you're like, oh, I love these leftovers. It's so good. The problem is at this point, you now have to transition the leftovers to a smaller container or a Ziploc bag, which is a catch-all, in my opinion, for anything leftovers. Pasta in a Ziploc bag. Uh, You can put meatballs in a Ziploc bag. Hard-boiled potatoes in a Ziploc bag. Chicken soup, Ziploc bag. Everything can go in a Ziploc bag. And so what happens is now you have to take, you're now transitioning leftovers from one container to a smaller container because the leftovers are getting diminished every day. And each time you downgrade with this like leftover babushka situation, you're creating more waste. So maybe leftovers ends up being a bigger problem to the economy and to the environment and to to society than we've thought before. I don't necessarily agree, but it's just one way of thinking about it. As I mentioned on previous uh, episode, which was almost three weeks ago. I can't believe so much time has gone by and I've done so little and I've accomplished almost nothing in my life. I think I've actually regressed a little during these three weeks, almost three weeks. So I mentioned that I stopped listening to news to help myself live a happier life so I don't have to read one negative headline after the next. Am I a happier person right now? Does it sound like I'm a happier person right now? You know, that's for you to draw your own conclusion. I will say it's not necessarily helping me with inner joy because it's quite possible that my imagination, which I'm relying on heavily these days, 
or I'm leaning on more than I would if I was reading the news or consuming news. So my imagination might be much more frightening than anything somebody could write on a news website. So possibly now my mind again is going to places where even the news can't make up or exaggerate. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that there's always a void that's created when you stop following the news. Like, what have I replaced the news with? So for me, it's an obvious choice because I don't want to be triggered by the news. So now I'm listening to way more true crime, which is probably not the best thing. So yeah, I don't know who Tom Brady is dating, but now I listen to this, you know, about 10 Dateline episodes this week, and uh, one was called Tangled, and another one was called The Mystery Music Man, and all all involved killing and cadavers and bodies and FBI and search and rescue. So maybe, perhaps that's not the best thing to fill the void of not listening to news. Maybe I should listen, possibly, to something happier, even though I personally have mentioned this before, I'm much more productive when I'm working, uh, particularly if I'm doing menial tasks, if there is somebody, you know, talking about how they walked into a room and somebody was getting hacked to death, it just, I don't know, I feel like the output and the productivity is that much stronger. This podcast would not be complete without some marital advice, which oftentimes I find myself bumbling through a marriage and my situations are, are here to protect you that you don't necessarily commit the same follies that I do on the regular. That is, when your wife tells you that she has excruciating back pain and as a re- result, she's responsibly taking the initiative to schedule an appointment with a chiropractor, the first thing that comes out of your mouth should not be, hey, is that chiropractor in network or, oh God, are we dealing with an out of network chiropractor that's going to have a big, big copay and potentially we have to pay the whole thing and fight with insurance to get a little of our money back? Because what I've discovered is if that is your initial response, or the only thing that you say other potential, other than potentially a, a grunt or a groan, that's not really showing any empathy or compassion to your spouse. The first thing you ought to say is, that sounds terrible. What is your pain level from a 1 to 10? Like 10 being the worst and 1 being like, you know, I'm just going to the chiropractor, get out of the house. Now the kids are driving me crazy and I respect that. Once you ask that question, though, then potentially you can be like, is the, is the chiropractor in our insurance network? Because, uh, but you don't want it to be the first thing that you say because, again, that comes across as callous and not really caring, even though I totally get if that is the first question that you're asking because, obviously, you want to protect your wife. You want to protect your family. You want to make sure that you have funds Let's say to take her, your wife out to dinner, so you want to make sure that's not going to pay the chiropractor, which reminds me of something else, which is any mental health provider uh, that takes insurance is clearly not worth going to because 
any mental health provider is going to say, I, what do you mean? Me? Take insurance? I don't take insurance. You just pay me, you know, give me a credit card, give me cash right now, and I'll treat you. Uh, so, in fact, uh, I find it hilarious that when you go to a mental health professional, whether it's a marriage therapist or a therapist for yourself, um, a psychiatrist to deal with your demons, uh, if you go to see demons because you want to deal with your psychiatrist and you want to speak to your demons about your psychiatrist, or you go to your therapist, therapist, because you have an issue with your therapist, either way, they'll always say, no, you know, I don't take insurance. And the problem is that it's not so comforting because you're going to these people as, as a safe harbor, harbor, refuge. You say, my life is chaotic now. I am now coming to you with my spouse. We haven't talked in nine months. We're trying to, we're trying to patch things up. Can you help bring some tranquility to our lives? And the therapist says, yes, of course. But your insurance, I won't even look in that direction. So now your life becomes even more complicated because your therapist or your marriage therapist, who you're going to for emotional support to lean on, is basically telling you, dude, your insurance sucks. The people there, you think I want to deal with them? Good luck. That's all you, baby. Just give me the money and we're going to help you through whatever issues that you're having. I totally get it, though, why it is a pain to deal with insurance. I just find it hilarious. My, I have a friend who is uh, sends his kids to school and the school actually just in the middle of the year raised their tuition fees, which is kind of inconvenient. But the reason for doing that is because uh, apparently the school sends out a lot of emails and they need new servers to just be able to host all the emails, the barrage of emails that are going out. And there's an email that goes out and says, hey, this is what he showed me. He said, hey, uh, we just sent out an email an hour ago. Please look at the email that we sent. So there's an email telling you that they sent an email. And this, my friend of mine, who now has to deal with this higher tuition because all the server fees for all the emails that the school sends out, he actually hired a remote um, executive assistant just to deal with and read and respond to the school's emails because there are a lot of emails that the school is sending out. And again, I'm not knocking a school. Obviously, it's not cheap. And if you need the servers, you need the servers. My cousin, by the way, has been probing me this week and not physically probing me, please. And he's asking me why I'm so PC or politically correct. I don't know. I don't think anybody ever asked me that question. Maybe he sees my soul or maybe he's just completely crazy because maybe I'm not that PC. You let me know whether or not you think I'm PC or not. To prove this point where I don't necessarily think on PC, I want to tell you that I'm a big fan of nature because typically the most they can ever charge you to go to a national park is $5, $10. If you want to buy a map, maybe an extra 50 cents. And they're not really going to give you a ticket, even though we want to sell you a pass for a full year. You just get it for one time, $10. 
That's why I like nature. Nobody charges you when you go to the beach. You have to pay maybe a parking fee, three, four dollars. Doesn't really trigger me anything under four dollars. Maybe it does. Anything under three, maybe that triggers me. Maybe anything under two dollars doesn't trigger me. You can park for 15 minutes and then worry the whole time somebody's going to give you a ticket. Just you just don't want to go over that two dollar threshold. So, uh, so I joined the Jewish Nature Group. So we go, and it's for you know members of the tribe who love to go out in nature. And the name of this group is um, Hikes with Kikes. And I, I love it. I think it's catchy from a marketing perspective. However, I do think it's insensitive. And uh, I don't think that is an appropriate name because, one, I don't want uh, other people calling us by that name. And while I get it rhymes, you know, and I'm happy to be a member of Hikes with the Kikes, I, I think that they should call it something else. Um, which, by the way, this week I had this idea that if you go glamping as a Jew, uh, which is almost like a motel situation, that's called glamping. Because you're a Jew and you're schlepping and you're, you're going glamping with your whole family. I am now using artificial intelligence to send my wife an apology text every 30 minutes and she is loving it and I instructed the ChatGPT, please make every apology unique so it sounds sincere and like each time every half hour I'm apologizing for a new topic or another wrongdoing and please exaggerate on the nature of this apology so that it goes over very well my wife loves it. She knows there's an AI component to it, but she loves the effort and the thought process that went into kind of making a concerted effort to have a steady stream of apologies going from my telephone to her telephone. I just mentioned before about trying to wean myself off of the news. And... At the same time, I am curious, naturally, as to what's going on in the world. So how do I balance that? How do I balance not following the news? There are no newspaper stands anymore, so you can't read the covers of that. Uh, so how do I get my news? Or if I'm curious as to what's going on to the world, how do I get it? So a few things. First of all, I listen to the rabbi's speeches now with a lot more attention than I used to because every once in a while the rabbi will reference hey this happened in Russia this week that happened in Russia and Ukraine and this and that so now while everybody is listening uh, to the speech and trying to get some words of encouragement to get through the week I'm there just to hear whatever's going on in the news tidbits and it's been very successful that thus far um Sometimes I'll even go up to the rabbi before the speech and I'll be like, hey, are you going to talk about the, the thing that happened this week? And he says, well, what, what thing happened this week? And uh, I think, I mean, you know, the thing that happened, crazy, that thing that, oh my gosh, you never would think that would happen, but it happened. And he starts saying, okay, what about this? Maybe the Maui fire. So that's how I get my information. Also, uh, now I'm, every once in a while in the morning, I don't go to the mikveh every day. Uh, not like the mikvah song, I go to the mikvah every day. I don't go to the mikvah every day. It's not a song that I'm going to do. But every once in a while now, I'll stride into the mikvah in the morning and uh, just like lean over and be like, hey, guys, what's going on? Uh, 
we got some news here. Is there there a news discussion? And uh, people are like, what are you doing here? Get out of here if you're not going to the mikvah here. Just get out. This is not a. This is not. You're not invited if you're not going to the mikvah here. You can't just come in here and get get the news, which which is news by the way before it even happens, because the, in the mikvah it's decided what the news for that day uh, will be. Uh, I could be. I have one more thought or two more thoughts uh, to share with you. The first thing is is that there is this big push that's been happening for the last 20 years or so. And that is uh, the idea of diversity and inclusion in society. So for example, back when, you know, years and years ago, most of the TV shows all featured the same type of homogenous white family, exactly, you know, family structure, they're married, they have a couple of kids. You know, as years gone by, people awaken to the ideas like, hey, not everybody looks like this, not everybody behaves like this. Let's, you know, broaden our horizons and let's include characters that are similar to the diversity that we have in society. And so you have naturally more people of color. You have sometimes people who they have handicaps. It's not just thin models. Even CNBC, every new once in a while, they'll have now a guy with a yarmulke, uh, which I'm very excited, even though I don't go to any news sites anymore. For now, for now, just remember, for now. So... They'll have a guy with a yarmulke because, again, they need diversity. But I still don't think, and I, by the way, I applaud this. This is very laudable, not because I'm PC. I just think it is. And um, at the same time, I do think there is a major demographic that is completely being shunned and ignored uh, because of, uh, you know, the pecking order they are in society. And I think that they ought to also be included, like the Jew on at CNBC, there's, again, a segment of our population that, again, once I explain to you what this is, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Potentially, you'll even be nodding your head and saying, this guy knows what he's talking about. You know, we want him around, and this is we're going to go fight for this. Which segment of the population is being ignored and not included in any ads, TV shows, for the most part, movies, anything like that, I'll tell you, it's dead people. You will never see a dead person starring in a commercial. There won't be a bunch of people around the fireplace drinking a beer and one guy with them. You have people from different races, all shapes and sizes, but you won't have just a corpse laying there with a beer next to him. Yeah, obviously the corpse cannot drink the beer, but think about the reality that there's probably in the history of the world more dead people, if you add them all up, than people living today. So this is a massive, underserved segment of the population. So you're going to say, oh, they're not part of the population, they're dead. Once again, you excluded them from the census. The census should say, this is how many live people, this is how many people that are buried because why do you turn your back on the dead people? I also think that this could also potentially solve some problems. Like sometimes people will die and they're destitute and they can't even afford to pay for a funeral. Unfortunately, sometimes you hear that in the Chabad houses, you know, the rabbi has to go, they have to arrange the funds. What if people you have in your license that say, 
hey, would you be willing to donate an organ if God forbid there's an it doesn't say God forbid, but if there's an accident, would you donate an organ? Why can't you have a similar clause that says, if I die, I agree that my rights and my corpse could be used for advertising. And again, it doesn't have to be, the ad doesn't have to be built just completely around the corpse, but you could include it as an extra or as filler, or again, just to really highlight and showcase the diversity aspect. I also think that potentially it's an opportunity for a guy who's dying and he has nothing to leave to his family. He says, listen, I'm not leaving you a penny. In fact, I have debts, but here's the thing. I think, and I've been speaking to an agency, a talent agency that specializes in people who have died and they think I have a really good chance of getting some commercials. Maybe they'll, uh, I'll be on a YouTube video and potentially the royalties will start coming in and I will be able to give back to my family uh, posthumously, if that's such a word, or after my death, and everything uh, is going to be very good. And uh, finally, I'll end off. I saw a, a very cool thing this week where we were shopping in Target, and a guy was taking videos and trying to get kids to be in his TikTok videos. And at, at first, again, I was I thought, oh, wow, it's a terrible thing, until I found out that he was willing to pay for any item that the kid wants in the store. At that point, I said, here, here's my kid. Uh, have a great time. Here's my kids. Uh, please uh, be respectful to them. We're going to monitor what's going on. But if you want to buy my kid in a store, you know, all my rants about privacy and China about TikTok, yeah, I'm willing to sell it or give that all away if you buy my kid a $40 pack of cards and, and my daughter a pair of pajamas. In fact, if this TikTok guy wants to start following us around to the grocery store, we take him to the doctor, he could pay for the chiropractor. We're now willing to go on, on camera for everything, you know, if somebody is willing to feature us in a TikTok video, which by the way, I'm mulling, mulling, I didn't say I'm going to do it, but I'm mulling uh, the prospect of becoming a viral TikTok star. Maybe that will happen next week or the week after. But uh, consider yourself forewarned. Anyways, have a wonderful uh, weekend. Uh, I hope I offended you in some way if you made it all the way to the end. And if I didn't, uh, I'm not working uh, hard enough here at what it is that I do. Thank you so much.